The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Okay, hello everyone. So we have another guest this week and I'm going to let Dr. Travis introduce himself a little bit. Hey Haley. Um, okay, so I graduated from dental school 14 years ago, opened a practice from scratch uh, immediately afterwards, which I might not necessarily recommend again, but it it's worked out really well. Um, we've got one of the largest single dentist offices in the country. Um, and I do a lot of education now for dentists on dental insurance and practice management. Awesome. I'm excited to kind of walk through your journey and also talk a little bit more about dental insurance. Cause I know people always have questions about that. Maybe not in the pre-dental stage, but once you get into dental school, you realize how hot of a topic that is. Mm-hmm. So first off, can you walk us through a little bit more your journey after dental school? You said you went right into a startup. How did that work and how did you manage to grow it so well? Uh, so the fourth year of dental school, we had a practice management seminar, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, While everybody was creating fake business plans for the seminar, mine was actually the one I was going to end up using. When I graduated, we had to get, you know, the licensure and everything else. And so that during that time, we were also looking at getting loans, um, working with a real estate agent to find location. And we did a startup practice. what less than an hour from where I graduated um, just because it was a great location for, you know, future kids and community and everything else Um, and great growth rate, which helps too. So when we started that, it was October, the year I graduated. And for nine months, I worked part-time as an associate at another office while the practice was growing. And then, you know, we, the biggest part about growing a practice from the beginning, I didn't do it as much as I should have, um, is marketing. Now, you, we run a business. Um, you're going to have a lot of dentists that may tell you marketing may not necessarily be necessary. I'd say most of them are likely to be older dentists than me, and I'm probably old for y'all, which is fine. Um, it makes me realize how long ago dental school actually was. But marketing is no longer a... Um, option. It's a requirement. I mean, every business markets to get in new clients and we're no different. So patients will move away. They'll pass away. They'll dislike something about the office and find another office. Either way, you've got the attrition naturally, but then just to grow your office, you need more people. You know, Um, And that's some of the parts that people don't focus as much on from the business side of things that they need to, especially as a startup. Um, You know, I made a ton of mistakes. Uh, I pretty much say if you can make a mistake running an office, I did in the first few years. And so, you know, it's one of those things that dental school and not to its detriment, dental school just doesn't teach you business very well. And there's just not enough time. And so if you want to run a business, whether it's a startup or an acquisition, you know, you've got to really focus on the business skills themselves because, I mean, you've spent four years learning dentistry. You might want to spend a few weeks or months learning business. 
Do you feel like you learned more about business through that trial and error you're talking about, or did you have any mentors, coaches that you like sought out or paid for? I know there's always those people like I'm a dental coach. I can bring your business this much better. Like how, I guess maybe then that wasn't as prevalent, but do you want to talk a little bit about that? You're probably right. There's not, there's more of them now than there used to be, but they've, they've been around since well before I was in dentistry. Um, for the same reason. I mean, we get lots of education dentistry, but no education in business. So there's got to be a source for it. Um, a lot of it was trial and error, but a lot of it was seeking outside help. And one of the things to think about whenever seeking outside help is there's lots of consultants and there are lots of coaches. There's a big difference between the two. A consultant is someone who's going to come in with a specific set of processes or systems or things to fix. something they focus on. And it's usually that cookie cutter approach. Well, if you like their cookie cutter approach, great. But if you don't necessarily love their cookie cutter approach, then they don't work well outside their framework. A coach, on the other hand, is going to come in, just think of like a sports coach. They're going to come in and take your skills and improve them. They're not going to try to change you they're going to just try to improve you. So they're not coming in with a set system. They're just coming in to help you specifically. So there's a difference between the two. Um, And I would say in most cases, I learned more from a coach than I did a consultant Um, because I've had lots of consultants tell me, hey, here's a great way to do it. And at the end of the day, I'm like, that doesn't work for me. You know, whether it's I don't like the system or whether it just doesn't match my personality either way, you know, for something, an improvement to work and change and everything else, it has to match us. Very similar for everybody in listening to our audience is if you're going to dental school, but you don't love dentistry, I guarantee you're probably not going to enjoy your life and you're probably not going to be successful with it versus if you love dentistry and yeah, there's going to be some challenges along the way, but if you love the concept and love what you do and being able to work with patients and that's everything. That kind of leads nicely into another thing I wanted to ask you, is there anything you wish you knew about working as a dentist now, like things that would just make your previous self be surprised or laugh or something? Absolutely. Um, everything not to do. Oh my gosh. I wrote an entire book on that one. Um, okay. So hygienists, it's a big, big topic right now for those who are out of dental school is hygiene is currently hard to find in a lot of areas. Um, and wage increases have gone and insurance has not increased. So you've got some challenges there, but the biggest challenge with hygiene is not utilizing your hygienist. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's either in dental school or just The way we think about our industry, a lot of times hygienists are not utilized to their full potential. Um, And we're usually the problem. Um, So to realize hygienists are not like a secondary group or they're not under us, they're partners with us or they should be. Um, You know, in most cases, a hygienist is gonna know more about perio than we do. Most dental schools, perio is not a huge topic that we're educated on, we're educated on treatment, you know, operative surgery. Um, Hygienist has two years of education purely in perio. So usually they're going to be better at it. They're going to be better probers because that's what they do all day long. They're going to be better at talking to people in many cases um, just because that's what they do all day long. 
So finding ways to utilize your hygienist the best way possible and actually partner with them um, can make a big difference. You know, for instance, but on the flip side, they're not taught very much often about diagnosis of dental treatment. So when you train your hygienist on dental treatment, train them to think like you, now they're telling the patient what they need before you even walk in the room. And that's huge. Um, next is learn to run a business. I think there's all sorts of aspects to that one. Um, and then what did I wish I knew? I wish I knew that dental school is only the start. The majority of what you learn, you're going to learn in the first one or two years of practice, just from your own mistakes, screw-ups, and just learning speed, learning how to deal with people. Um, the patients you deal with in dental school are going to be quite a bit different than the patients you deal with in real life, um, just because of the different atmosphere. And you're asking for a lot more money, usually, for everything you do as well. So you've got to portray confidence, which I know is hard to do at the beginning. But you've got to look at it as, even though you don't know as much as you think you do, you know 10 times more than the patient. Own that, you know, and realize too, one of the biggest things is treatment acceptance. You know, in dental school, we're taught to give patients every option under the sun in minute detail. And what we end up doing is confusing the heck out of our patients and confused patients don't make decisions. Confused people don't make decisions. So the way you've got to relook at it is start looking at it in the patient's perspective, but realize you know where the patient will end up. You don't have to tell them in detail about every dental procedure, even though we'd love to, we love talking about dentistry. That's what we just learned at dental school. Um, you got to get out of doing that. What you've got to learn to do is ask questions that the answers from the patient will lead you towards what's their best option for treatment. And focus on that, focus on using your education to ask the right questions so that the patient comes up with their own treatment plan, just not in dental terms. So that's going to be a big one too. Yeah, that's great advice and something we can even work on while we're in school right now to get better at that skill. Was there any resource that you use to kind of get some basic framing questions that you like, or you just over time, again, have kind of developed what works for different people? The framing questions were all CE and coaches, um, but a couple of good books to start with that I absolutely loved. Um, Emeth Dentist is one that everybody should read before, you know, even thinking about ownership. Um, it really puts in perspective everything about dentistry and why we typically make bad business owners um, and how to be good ones. And then Never Split the Difference, interesting book written by an ex-CIA um, agent, but he, um, he puts in how to talk to terrorists, but how to use that information to talk to anybody um, and on a negotiation side. And this is negotiations for suppliers, negotiations for patients, you know, and it's, it's a really eye-opening book. So those are my two best suggestions to start with. Awesome. I'll definitely look at those now. I feel like I have so much more time on my hands this year for some reason. So I'm trying to read more and just mm -hmm. get more practical skills that I can use later on. So you said you're the only doctor at your office, correct? Or do you have? So now? 
I hired an associate a year ago. We are still what I would consider one doctor office. I work two days a week. She works two days a week. Uh, so yes, we've modified that somewhat recently. Yeah. So there's one there at a time, but you are sharing your workload, which is probably nice for your personal life. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But are you doing a lot of bread and butter dentistry? Are you doing cosmetic cases, surgery? And is that what you expected you'd be doing? I do a majority of bread and butter stuff. You know, crowns, fillings, root canals. I do a lot of sedation. Love my sedation patients. They're all freaked out at the beginning. They need a lot more hand-holding. But once you drug them up, everybody's happy. And oh my gosh, it's so much easier to work on somebody who's sleeping than somebody who's awake. Um, and they love you more because they don't have to remember you. So I highly suggest learning sedation. If you're at school, teaches sedation, take it, take it, take it. It's so worth it to do. Um, my best patients, my best cases, all are sedation cases. So um, I do some implants. It's not a majority of the office, maybe 5%, but I love implants. They're fun. I will say I wish I did them years and years earlier than I did, not first year out, but definitely far sooner than I did Um, because they just opened the world up for so many different treatment options for patients. I do some smattering of other small things, but really it's none of it really makes a huge difference. Um, I will say from a student point of view, root canals are going to be a big one. Everybody needs them. They're usually needed now because people are in pain. Um, learning to get good at root canals can make a big difference. And a lot of offices that are hiring, that's going to be one of the things they're looking for is somebody who can do root canals because they don't want to necessarily refer out um, those patients and lose all the potential production. Um, and that's an easy one. Although I will say far easier, uh, maybe a bias because I love it, but far easier to learn is surgery extractions. Um, The one thing to think about with extractions is the way we were educated is not the best way to do it because we were taught all the basics and not a bad way to educate, but you know, you're taught to use elevators and forceps and everything else in order to get out teeth. Well, yeah, some teeth will come out that way, but many times teeth won't. Learning to use a surgical length burr will open up the world to everything in surgery. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if y'all are taught this way, but I was that somehow bone is sacred and we can cut on teeth all day long, but never touch the bone. I'm like sitting here going, well, bone is softer, bone regrows, teeth is harder, teeth don't regrow. That's never made sense. So get comfortable with removing some bone. But here's the thing to think about too. Removing bone is a controlled way to do it. And usually you're going to moat around a tooth. Well, the bone will completely fill in a four-walled hole. And so you can remove a bunch of bone to take out a tooth and the patient will end up with the same amount of bone at the end or more because you didn't fracture the buccal and liquid plates. So surgically extracting a tooth versus forcep extractions um, is going to end up with better results that are faster and far less pain for the patient. Now, trimming bone is, for whatever reason, it just doesn't hurt afterwards. Yanking on a tooth for 20 minutes hurts afterwards because you create a ton of bruising and inflammation and everything else. And that's what usually the patients complain about. So surgical skills are huge. Um, And just getting the idea that uh, the one fun part of medical that really 
fits well with us, is a rule in the operatory is the longer that you're in the surgical field, the more likely the patient's going to have post-op problems. Doesn't is not any different in dentistry. The faster we do our work, the less the patient's going to hurt after. And that's the one thing to think about is, you know, find the ways to be efficient. And speed comes with time. Um, that first two years going to be huge for speed increase. But also thinking if you're taking more than 20 minutes to take out a tooth, you need to pull out a drill. Yeah, we in our oral surgery rotation, whenever they became surgical, the residents or attendings had to come do it. So I was like, why can't we use drills on teeth? Like, can't you just show me how to use it? But I guess that'll be a CE situation for me, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, there is something to be said that you can't screw up that badly with instruments. You can potentially screw up pretty badly with a handpiece if it goes the wrong direction. So I, I can see, again, I see the education side of it. I see why, but you need to very soon get comfortable with drill afterwards. Is there a specific course that either you took or you recommend for surgery or for sedation? Um, sedation is going to usually be by state because um, every straight state has different regulations for that. So, but there is education. If you're going to pick up one though, um, the one well-known one for sedation across the country is DOCS. I don't remember what it actually stands for, but just go look up DOCS sedation and you'll find it. Um, surgery, there's actually two dentists that have gotten together to educate on surgery um, that I took a few years ago that was awesome. And one of them is a dentist I actually work with on a regular basis because he's the surgeon that comes to our office to take out the few cases I don't want to do. Um, it's KCSI. KCSI is just the company that they came up with and they do education in Dallas um, for surgical trainings. So it's usually a weekend, um, but you also get a jaw to work on, like live jaw. So um, great way to learn. Awesome. Thank you. I have a few more questions about how you run your office and how things are structured. Then we'll get a little bit more into other things that you do with your life. But um, we talked a little bit about insurance in the intro. How does your office, are you in network with a lot of plans or how do you guys do that? We're in network with almost everyone. Okay. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then the other thing I was wondering is you mentioned you bring in specialists sometimes and then there's you or your associate there. And then you talked about hygiene being important for the functionality and success of your practice, how many operatories do you have? And what do you think is ideal for one lead doctor being there? One doctor ideal is five. And there's almost okay. no question about that. That's there's the reason there's the standard for everybody. Typically the way you're going to look at it is two for the hygienist, two for the doctor and one for overflow and overflow is going to be patients running late. You've got denture adjustments, little things that are non-production. Um, you know, there's a variety of reasons at walk in emergency. There's a variety of reasons you need that extra chair. We have eight operatories in the office, um, which for the last two years we didn't have access to because I had a renter dentist in. Um, But now we're starting to utilize them a little bit. I occasionally use six ops um, because we now have three hygienists. So, but five is gonna be what you usually shoot for. Um, If you're looking at one dentist at a time, you really don't need much more than five. 
unless you've got three hygienists, which is uncommon, I will say. Um, when you look at having multiple doctors, seven is more ideal the goal. The thing to think about on numbers though, is everybody tends to think, oh, I need dentists working at the same time. Well, that doesn't necessarily bring the same value to the office as dentists who are working different hours or days. And so patients don't necessarily want to or have the ability to come in eight to five. Well, one option for growing the office um, is have dentists there that are more days and more hours. So if the office is open instead of eight to five, it's open seven to seven, but one doctor is not working more than you know, six to eight hours at a time, then you can really increase your availability for patients um, without making the doctors work very hard or sometimes working less. I mean, if you only work six hour days, hey, awesome. Or if you can somehow work 12 hour days, but only work two or three of them, well, I mean, that's less than 40 hours a week and gives you a lot of free time. The other thing to think about is, you know, there's no reason your office can't be open six days a week as opposed to five or four uh, with multiple doctors. So you don't necessarily need, you know, 10 ops for two docs. And it's just, that's a lot of space that's wasted because you're going to pay rent on everything. Yeah. One thing I can definitely see how, especially like a new grad that's eager to learn, wants to be in the best office possible, would be willing to work those less desirable days and hours and everything. But I wonder how you are able to find like staff for those times, if it's like all day Saturday or early or late hours when people have family. Have you had any experience with that? Oh, yeah. Our office from the very beginning has been open Saturdays. Um, one thing to think about is at least what worked out for us and our team. You just need a weekend. It doesn't necessarily have to be Saturday, Sunday. So we've always been open Saturdays, but not open Mondays. So I still have a two-day weekend, but the upside is everybody else is working Monday. Everything is open Monday. Nobody's out doing chores Monday. It is exponentially easier to get stuff done Monday than it is Saturday. There's no traffic. There's no rush. There's I can get things done a lot quicker, easier, um, and I still have my two-day weekend. So, I mean, that's now, once you have kids, that might change some. Um, I only work now one Saturday a month, but it's still not a huge deal to do it. Um, but it also opens up the office to times that most in the start open, which means what are your patients going to need and want? Um, we have patients that I've seen for a decade, Saturday only. I've never seen them any other day of the week because that's their availability. Um, but the chance that, and they'll put up with a lot more because so many other offices aren't open Saturday. So they're easier patients to keep happy. And the one last thing I want to know before we talk about insurance a little bit is you did this startup right out of dental school and now you've grown the office. You took an in associate as, as of last year. Did you have any personal struggles with like giving up control and trusting your office to run when you're not there. I feel like a lot of us are type A people. So how did you work through that? Oh, I'm type A too. Uh, <laughs> exponentially. So <sighs> training your team. I mean, that's the biggest thing is I now have, I mean, a majority of the team's fairly new since COVID changed a whole bunch, but I've got two, three, three team members, four team members that have been with me for multiple years. Um, so that's part of it is I trust them, but I trust them because I forced myself to, I mean, I guess is you've got to realize one thing to think about 
is as a leader, because no matter if you own the office or you're an associate, you're still going to be a leader in the office. You're the highest educated person in the office. Um, people look to you, you know, for everything. One of the things to think about is you can't be everywhere. You can't do everything. There's no way. Um, and the dentists who try to do it all are the ones who hamper themselves. Because you've got to think about it this way. Your time and only in a way to think about it from the office as a goal. Your time is the most valuable. Only because, not because you're different or special or anything else. There are things that you can do that nobody else in the office can do. That makes your time more valuable, which means if somebody else can legally do something, then you should probably not be doing it. Um, because somebody else who's paid less and who cannot do some of the things you can do can do it for you. So as a small example, packing cord or making temporaries should not be a dentist's job. You should not do them, but your assistant should be doing it. Now, a lot of assistants may not necessarily be trained to do it, so you got to train them to do it. But once you do, let them do it for a while. Surprising thing is they may end up better at it than you are um, because they get to focus on it. They get to do it every day. And they've got the time to do it well. So there's, but in business, there's everything to do with that too. It's, you know, looking at reports. Yes, you should be looking at reports, but training your team to actually do it for you and then give you the reports just speeds up your time. You know, looking through insurance claims, yes, you should be doing it, but somebody else should be at least processing it. You just need to be overseeing it. So there's a lot of ways to delegate. But also realize one of the biggest traps in delegation is trying to make somebody do it your way and expecting 100% of what you would do out of them. It's impossible to get that. When you delegate, you should expect 80% of what you would do because your time is so much more valuable. Losing the 20% there, you're going to gain it in what you can do with that time instead. So you should not expect perfection out of everyone. Um, even though a lot of times we expect it out of ourselves. Um, the other thing to do is just you've got to trust and you've got to slowly delegate stuff out so that you have the time because you are going to hate your life if you're trying to do every single thing because you're just not going to have the time to do anything or enjoy it. That's awesome advice and thanks. I'm sure I will go back to in a few years when I'm at that point. So I want to transition the conversation a little bit to insurance. It would be a shame to bring you on here and not talk about it because you definitely are a resource for so many people. So first off, how did you start to learn so much about the way dental insurance works and how to make it profitable in a practice? Uh, it frustrated me like it probably frustrates most dentists in the country. Um, and so I just started looking into it, researching it because I'm just one that I don't take the status quo or the answer that's there. If I don't like the answer, I'm going to try to find a different one. Um, the challenge is over a long period of time, looking everywhere, there are some answers that just didn't exist, um, at least by the people who are teaching. So I just started doing my own research. Um, COVID was a big one that, you know, our offices were shut down for two months. And so I had nothing better to do, but I still need to go to the office because I love my kids, but I can't spend 24 seven with them. Um, and I need to be productive just because that's my personality. I've got to get stuff done. So I actually went to the office every day, even though I may saw 
two or three patients a, month, a week. Um, I was still at the office full time. And so I wrote a textbook. I read every dental insurance contract I could find. And the funny thing is a lot of what we think is true about insurance is actually false because nobody actually goes back to the source material. So that's a lot of where I learned it is just research, I guess, you know, doing it the hard way. Um, and that's why I teach people to do it, learn it just so you don't have to read through thousands of pages of contracts just to find the answers. Yeah. Now people can read your book or go to one of your sessions and learn it instead of spending the hours themselves. So are there any, like, I guess, basic key things you can think of that maybe a dental student might not know about insurance that you think could help them? Like one or two things that come to mind? Biggest thing is, I know it's super sexy, learn dental codes. I mean, it is the foundation of everything we do. Um, It's how we get paid. And there are a lot of offices and a lot of dentists who are not utilizing every code that they should, that in many cases, insurance will pay for. So your patients aren't even out of pocket much, if any more, and yet you're getting paid more because you understand the codes. So um, Blair's got a book, the ADA has a book, you've got to just buy a coding book and take the time to read through it and understand every code. I mean, that's just what it is. Um, Now, some of the surgical codes you don't need because you'll never do them, but you just flip through the entire book. I know it's a boring read, but you will learn so much. Um, And it's going to make a big difference because there's a lot of times that dentists do stuff they're not getting paid for. They should um, just because they don't know the code behind it. Yeah, that's a great baseline. Like I didn't know that there was a code for an indirect pulp cap and we do those all the time at school. And I think pretty much all of us don't know that. So that's a random example there, but now I put that in. (laughs) Um, And also I feel like leaving things out that exist is almost like negligible and really needs to be better record keeping too. So there's multiple reasons to do it. Even if people aren't money motivated, it's still more accurate. Absolutely. So your office is obviously successful being in network with almost every insurance. What is your view with a lot of dentists trying to go out of network these days? I will say it's at the root of it. It's a personality difference. Um, There are some dentists who have silver tongues. They can talk anybody into anything. They love talking to people about their lives and what's going on and the minute details of their personal life. I'm not that way. I would say a lot of dentists being type A are not the small talk people. They're not the relationship builders. And so if you are a great relationship builder and that's what you thrive on and you can sit there and talk to a patient for hours about things not dental related, then yeah, fee for service or out of network is a great way to go because you can spend that effort. Um, Many of us are type A and or introverts, and I don't think that works for either one of those personality types um, to be able to do that well. And so if you're not that great at the relationship building and network is the way to make up for it, you're gonna charge less. Um, you're going to take their insurance. And from that point of view, now you get to focus on, and this is what I enjoy, you get to focus on the dentistry. Yeah, I know somewhat about my patients' lives, but I don't know when their mother's birthday is and everything else. That's just not something that my brain tends to be able to, you know, 
store easily um, without a lot of effort and stress. But the other thing too is being an introvert. I don't, I don't get a lot of energy out of that small talk that some people do. I know people can talk them, you know, ear off the wall on a relationship builder and are happy doing it. I get frustrated doing it. I'd rather talk about dentistry and then get down and actually do it. Um, and so that means, yeah, am I going to probably be doing a little more dentistry? Sure. Than a fee-for-service dentist. Um, but I can make the same income or better than they can being in network. So it's not about money. Um, it's about picking your poison, basically. If you want to spend all the time and effort focusing on patients who are probably a little bit higher needs, um, or do you want to spend more time focusing on how to be efficient in dentistry and do a little more dentistry, but not have to have those, you know, relationship discussions day in and day out. So that's where I would say the focus on. And again, both of them can be super successful if you treat them correctly. The times that people get in trouble, because I've seen people go bankrupt both ways. You know, they're in network, but they don't know how to deal with efficiency, so they don't make much money. Or they go fee-for-service or out of network and don't have the relationship skills and end up going bankrupt because, I mean, I saw one office that was bought by a dentist that should never have bought a fee-for-service office. He ran into the ground in one year. A multi-million dollar single dentist office that had been there for over 20 years, he ran into the ground in one year. Um, he's just not the right fit for that office. He should never have been fee-for-service. Um, and that's where you kind of do some soul searching and know about you, what's gonna match you and make the practice work for that. Don't try to change yourself for your career because you'll burn yourself out. You'll hate life. Make your career work for what life you want. And that's the important part. Such a good transition. It's like, you knew what I wanted to talk about next is more I about did not me. read your list. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just flowing perfectly. So you are obviously a dentist, but you have your family, you have your own personal life goals. So how did you kind of self-evaluate and figure out what you want out of your work as a dentist? And then also how is dentistry helping you accomplish your other life goals? Part of it was coaching. Part of it was trial and error. Part of it was my wife telling me what I needed. Um, and she was right in most cases, but you've got to look at so many of us focus on career first, which is important in the first couple of years. You got to learn it, but you also got to realize why do you work? You know, you work to have money. Yes, you may not be money motivated, which is fine, but you still work to have money. Um, money lets you do everything else you want. So it doesn't have to be for the sake of money. It has to be for the sake of freedom. You know, freedom from financial distress, but also freedom of time. If you spend all your time and days focused on dentistry, you don't have freedom to spend that time doing anything else she wants. And we all have our own personal goals. We all have our own hobbies or things that make us happy um, that Ideally, some of it should be outside dentistry. So your career is supporting your personal life, not the other way around. And so many of us get caught up in the career first, life second, and then don't get to enjoy life. So this is where it comes down to, even if you're not money motivated, it's the learning to make more money per hour means you don't have to work as many days if you don't want. And you should all come up with a Here's how much money I need. What is it in my work life that's going to reach that in the shortest days possible? 
So, you know, the average dentist works four days a week. Well, there are some dentists that work two to three days a week and make the same, if not more income, but now have tons of time to do everything else they want. Or you've got the others that say, yeah, I really do want to work four days a week. I'm just going to make more money than everybody else because I have different needs or desires, or I want to be a philanthropist and start, you know, doing a bunch of money to charity or whatever. It gives you the resources to do that. So it's all thinking about how much you make per hour you work allows you the freedom to either make more or work less. Um, and that's where, I mean, it took me years to figure this out. And like I said, coaches kind of helped along the way too, is realizing it's not about the hours we work. It's about what's going to support our life um, and figure out what you want your personal life to look like first. And then focus your career on making that match. And you'd be a lot happier at the end of the day. Yeah, that's awesome advice. And I know the speed, being able to make that more money in less time, all those things come a little bit over time after graduating, mm -hmm. but knowing what you want and what you need to do, you can get there faster when you have a plan. So I definitely love that advice. Before we wrap up, do you want to mention your the book you helped write or any other courses or resources for people? Okay, sure. Um, my first book I wrote a few years ago, it's called The Practice Whisperer. Um, it's a story of my start from scratch practice, everything I failed at and what to learn from it. So it's, it's just a story of the office in my life. And again, it's a story of failure, but um, in a way the educational. Um, the other book I wrote is a textbook on dental insurance. It's called Understanding Dental Insurance. And honestly, it's a book I think almost everybody needs, every office needs. And Partially, I suppose that's biased, but it's written to be that resource for people to understand probably the biggest aspect of our career, which is how we get paid. Um, you know, and so it's written from a standpoint of knowing very little at the beginning, and it walks you through being able to understand more than most people in the industry will. Um, and so that one's huge. And then for those who start to own their own offices, We've got an online resource um, that takes it even further from there called Dental Insurance Guy. And that's kind of what I'm known as. Um, but the website, Dental Insurance Guy, is an online platform for education on everything insurance. Awesome. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for your time today. If people really resonated with you or have specific questions, is there a way through your website or an email that people could use? Um, the website has a Q&A feature for members. Um, to reach out to me, just find me on Facebook. I and mean, that's the easiest way. I'm on Facebook all the time. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's how I was able to connect with you. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for your time today. Okay, my pleasure. Good luck in your career. Thank you.